this passage, like everyone else in the Bible, it's, it's like an onion. You can peel one layer, and then another layer, and then another layer, and there is always more. I mean, the Word of God is brutal in its honesty and simplicity and immediacy. And the words that Jesus spoke to us as they are recorded are exactly like that, immediate, with no explanation, nothing said, because they are sufficient. But then you can find there is more and more and more and more. The unfathomable God comes to us, and what we receive from him, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the presence of Christ in our hearts, the presence of Christ in our midst. God occupied that space between you and me. Is God that interacts with us. Is the God of relation. Is relational God. And He's sufficient. He's sufficient to satisfy our spiritual needs. He's sufficient to bring us closer to Christ. He's sufficient to transform us in the image of the Lord and to bring us from glory to glory to glory to glory to the final goal for each one of us, which is to go back to the very beginning. We were creating the image of God, we return to the image of God. That's what it's all about. This is what church is all about, what is the gospel is all about, what Christ coming among us, the cross, the resurrection, the final judgment, everything, everything that we know, our fate, everything that's being revealed to us, is can be condensed in something very simple. We were made in the image, we were created in the image of God, we failed. God bring us back. And at the end, we will become again what we were supposed to do in the image of God, reflect the glory of God, become partakers of the divine nature. And so what Jesus says here is sufficient to see on appearance what, what is, what is all about. It says, don't worry. As simple as that is the cure against anxiety. It's very simple. Are you anxious? Stop it. Um, I, I, you know, I, I can tell you something. I tell you a story. I mean, years ago, I used to smoke. I used to smoke cigarettes. That was the only, my only vice, probably my only serious vice, because it was attacking my health and so on. This is talking about after Christ, because before Christ, before I gave my life to Jesus, there were many other vices, many other things that I'm not going to share. Because they're yuck. And that's buried, is the past, is finished, is dead, it doesn't exist anymore. What? Finished. But even after I gave my life to Jesus, I continued to smoke, but I knew that it was not right, and I wanted to give up, and I couldn't, and, and I couldn't do anything without smoking. I couldn't answer the telephone without smoking. I couldn't drive the car without smoking. My wife didn't smoke, and she didn't like it, and so on. And I was praying and praying, God, give me the willpower, and so on. And then one day, Suddenly, I had a thought, and I said, um, it's not me, it's not me with my willpower, but it's Jesus. Uh, and I said, Jesus, you are God, you can do all things, you make me stop smoking. And I used to smoke two packs of cigarettes a day. I put that cigarette down, that was the end. I had no withdrawal symptoms, nothing. And so every time I saw somebody who wanted to... Um, um, stop smoking. I pray for them and they stopped smoking. It was great. And, but, you know, once I, I, um, you know, we can have some drastic way of approaching worries and things like that, um, and concerns. But 
Very simple, just stop it. Um, why worry? Jesus says, why worry? Stop it. Don't worry. Don't worry about anything. Don't worry about what are your material needs. And what their material needs, which are the basic needs of every human being. So Catherine was talking about East Africa. We spent a lot of time in East Africa. We ministered a lot in Uganda and Kenya and Tanzania and then in further south in Zimbabwe, South Africa. And, and we know how these people live. And poverty is a reality. Sickness and diseases are a reality. Leprosy is a reality. I remember once Catherine was hugging and kissing this woman. And, uh, and then I went there and I saw she had no face. She was being eaten by leprosy and she had just eyes and, and a scar. I mean, it's, there was, it's a reality. It's real. We saw it so many times. And the poverty is real. It's immense. It's real. Um, and, and the story thinks is that these people who are so poor are the most generous people we ever met all around the world. They have nothing and they give you everything. That is what really reflects the glory of God. I think I remember once we went to pray for a family. They, they had a sick boy and they lived in one room, just one room. It was actually made of bricks, not a mud hut with a straw roof. And, and the whole family, father, mother, children and whatever, I don't know how many people lived in one room and there was one bed. That was the only thing that was there. And then we were there, we saw that they didn't have a latrine, I don't know where, went in the bush, whatever, they didn't have anything, a place to cook, they had a charcoal fire outside. And I said, oh, they, they were looking for everything and looking under the bed and looking in the corners. And I thought, what are they looking for? And then we saw a little boy running away. And, and 10 minutes later, he came back with two bottles of Coca-Cola. They were looking for a coin, whatever they could have, to give us a Coca-Cola, because we were their guests. Probably that was the old money that they had for months. For months. So remember the poor. And sometimes poverty, poverty is not a blessing, but it could be a blessing because when we do not have, maybe we stop worrying. And uh, say, so, well, I don't have it, so why worry? <laughs> and, and, and Jesus warned us about the last for riches, and the riches can become a problem. But it's not only this. Um, he says, can you get taller if you worry? Can you do anything? And he says, well, consider nature, creation. God, take care of everything. So why do you worry? And then pointfully, Jesus never mentioned God here, but mentioned the Father. Your Father feeds them. Your Father knows your father. And by saying father, here we see something that is not just this passage as don't worry because God provides, but it is Jesus presents something a little bit more than that. When he says that word father, he brings us into a relationship with God. He brings us into a certain position and he positions there so that we know where we are. If he said, your God, your creator, he said, God closed the glass that he created, he closed the, uh, he puts, makes the grass beautiful, the flowers beautiful, and so on. But then he switches and says, by your father, your heavenly father, he knows, he knows. It makes also a paragon of something with the Gentiles. We will go back to that. But 
let's see to this point. He says twice when he talks to his disciples, he talks to the audience that he had in front of him, he said, your father, doesn't say God, father, says, hey, you are in a relationship with your God. He's not the unfathomable God in the heavenly places, far away, unknowable, as the pagans, the pagans, they don't know God. They invent sort of things. They invent all sorts of gods to satisfy their needs. What is an idol? Is an idol is something that we create to satisfy our needs. You know, and, 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 and pagans create idols. And we still create idols to satisfy our needs. And whatever the needs are, material or spiritual or emotional, we create an idol. And we make idols, even of people. We can make idol of church. We can make idol of uh, of our own faith. We can make idol of everything because we shape it in a way that it satisfies our needs. Whatever the needs are, when Jesus said to the disciples, uh, "You didn't choose me; I chose you." Why did he say that? The disciple answered to the call of Jesus. Some answered, some didn't answer. We can say yes, and we can say no. Grace can be resisted. We can say yes to the grace of God. We can embrace the grace of God. We can embrace God that calls us to a relationship. Or we can turn our back. There was a rich young ruler. He wanted, he had, he, Jesus loved him. He was a righteous young man. He, he observed all the commandments. He honored his father and mother. He was rich. That was a little bit of a problem for him because he was attached. Though riches who have something to fill the gaps, the emptiness, whatever it was in his life, was not... He don't even his own righteousness, the riches that he couldn't live. But Jesus loved him, still loved him. But he could say no to Jesus, re- reject that offer of a relationship. So when Jesus said, I chose you, you didn't choose me, because if we can choose Jesus and make him an idol, because Jesus is there to satisfy my need. I go to Jesus because I need healing. I go to Jesus because I have whatever. I need a job. I need whatever. Because my needs are there. But at the same time, there is this incredible paradox of the kingdom. It says, don't come to me because of your needs, because otherwise you shape me according to your own needs. But I'm here to satisfy your needs. So what here Jesus said to us is he presents this paradox of the kingdom, the paradox of what God does for us. He says, come to me with gratitude in your heart because I will satisfy you. I will give you everything. But do not think for a moment that if you pursue gratitude, I will satisfy your needs. Do you see what it means? You know, come to me. Yes, we come to you, Lord, and we ask him, because we have needs, because you are our Father, because you satisfy our needs, we present Him. And Jesus said, you know, ask and you will receive, knock and it will be open to you. And, and we know from Philippians, it says, let your petition be known to God. Don't you think that God knows? Of course He knows, but let them know. I mean, this is again the paradox of the kingdom of God. So Jesus says, don't worry about anything. Your Father knows. But at the same time, we had to go to Him and ask Him. So how does it work? What, what is, what is the Lord saying? Here it's very, very simple. What Jesus is saying to us, he says, what is in your heart is very important. What you put at the center of your existence. We have created at times a religion that is instead of being a total integration of life, a total relationship with our God into love self-centeredness. 
There is so much in Christianity nowadays that our contemporary Christianity, which says, you know, man is at the center. God has become a tool in the hands of God to satisfy his needs. Claim it and grab it and have it. Recently, I was listening to somebody who said, oh, this is a great message, great message. But at the end of the day, this man was preaching that we, that God is waiting for us to give him the legal right to intervene in our favor. And I said, this is blasphemy. This is blasphemy. We have put man in front instead of God. So what Jesus is saying that in all of this, he says, yes, you need to ask. You need, but he, what is in your heart is that the relationship that you have with God, with your father, is paramount. And then it becomes legitimate for you to ask. Because at the end, if we put ourselves at the center of all of this, the consequence of that is that, that, that the meaning, the significance is in an individual. And we find, we're trying to find something inherent in our own nature, in our own humanity. And at the end, that becomes, whatever is in the spiritual becomes irrelevant. You know, this is a great risk that the contemporary church is this switch from the centrality of God to the centrality of man, the value of man. Man, of course, man is extremely valuable. Humanity has been exalted to the highest possible level in the moment in which Jesus embraced our humanity forever. When he became a man, he redeemed humanity and brought humanity to be in communion with God again as it was at the very beginning. Man is extraordinary creation. The psalm says, you know, you create a man a little bit less than an angel. Yes, we are incredibly precious and valuable. Each one of us, every single human being is worth the cross of Jesus Christ. If this is our value, why? What is the value of a human being? It's more than the, the entire universe. It's worth of the cross of Jesus Christ. But it's what God gives value to man, not man giving value to himself in the eyes of God. This is what is really very, very important. This is what is very significant in this message that Jesus presents to us. And, and he says, you know, it's, it's very, very significant that this switch says, Father, you, your Father, your Father, your Father, your Father. God wants to be a Father to us. You know, Adam, the Son of God, in genealogy of Jesus, in Luke at the end, it says, Adam, the Son of God. And what does it mean to be Son, and what does it mean to be Father in the eyes of God? And, 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 and God said it so many times to us. He presented to us so many times. And in the entire Bible, as we look into it more and more and more, we will find that this relationship, father-son, father and daughter, is there constantly. And God constantly calls it, constantly wants us to be, to enter into this, rela- this relationship and the realizations that we are in the relationships. Because God is a relational God. And Father, starting from the very beginning, look at when God created Adam and Eve, and He breathed and, uh, into the nostril of Adam, and when that, that, when He breathed 
He put that spirit, his own spirit, something that came out of him, and carried in himself, if you like, the nature, the DNA, the character, the personality, the goodness, the holiness, the spirituality, the, the, the amazing ability to extrapolate everything and see the reality in the spirit that he wanted Adam to have. He wanted Adam, even when when he put a limitation to Adam and says, do not touch that tree or the knowledge of good evil, simply because it was immature, it was newly created. You do not give a a manual of nuclear engineering to you, two years toddlers. I mean, he can't even read. I mean, but even if you start reading, you know, you give him Mickey Mouse. You don't give him uh, whatever. He will not, it will mean nothing to him. And it will even be dangerous. Would be, don't give it to me. Would give, means nothing to me. I mean, I, I will not understand it. I will not understand it. And, and so when God put that limitation and, 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 and immediately there was this, the, the rebellious nature that was inside man. I don't know why there was inside man. But again, because he wanted to put himself at the center. Because he listened to what the devil said, and the devil was saying, you know, if you touch that tree, you will know as God knows. So at the end of the day, you will not need him. You will not need him. Again, you know, man putting himself at the center. And when man puts himself at the center, that relationship becomes irrelevant. And why the devil did that, the devil hates everyone who's got a father. If you remember in Job, in chapter 1, verse 6, it says the children of God were called in front of him, and Satan was among the children, because he's a created angel. Like all other creative things, he's a child of God. At the beginning, we, 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 we don't know what happened, but maybe we know something from Isaiah 14, from Ezekiel 20, 28, that there was this beautiful, gorgeous, amazing, yeah, boom, bam, bam, boom, boom, angel, the most powerful, the most beautiful, the most intelligent, the wisest, the most glorious, blah, boom, bam, bam. And like all angels, they constantly look at God and see the face of God and they're captivated by the holiness, the beauty, the majesty, the glory of God. And at a certain point, he looked at himself. Again, that's the problem. He started looking at himself. And he realized how beautiful he was. That was his end. He realized how powerful. He realized how, how everything. So even when our demands, our requests are not answered, there is a reason why God keeps us in that tiny little weakness, tiny little things. You know, Paul, Paul, this mighty, powerful man of God has a phone in the flesh and asks three times God to take it away and it's not taken away. He says, my grace is sufficient. It would have been so easy for God to set him free. Whatever that phone was, was a sickness, a disease, or the, the Judaizing party that were harassing him, or, or the persecution, or whatever. And, or the super apostle at that time, the ha ha ha, we are the big guys who warrior you, and all these sort of things. Whatever the problem was, is not taken away. But it's for his own good. Because he's still dependent on God. When we need his grace, my grace is sufficient. When we need him, he keeps us in that situation or needing him. So when God said to Adam, you know, um, don't touch the tree, because if you want to know, you have to come to me. 
in a way, it keeps that relationship channeled through knowledge. So when the devil realized that he didn't had no need of God, says, I don't need a God. But again, we see what the nature of God is. It, he didn't say a single word. You don't need me? Off you go. You want to go? Off you go. The same thing with Adam. You want to go? You want to be independent? Off you go. The same thing with the prodigal son. He wanted to want to what the man, the father had, his money, like Adam wanted the knowledge that God had, but he didn't want the relationship. The prodigal wanted the money, but not a relationship with the father. The father doesn't say a word. He let him go. And God let us go all the time. We are perfectly, utterly, completely free. But we are also free to obey, to obey. Because that obedience keeps us into a relationship. That situation in which we are dependent on God. There are so many things that I asked the Lord so many times for years. And I'm not being answered. And sometimes I get angry at him and says, why don't you answer? You, say, you can, you're a God, you can do that. Come on, wake up. But, you know, God likes to wrestle with us. You know, really loves to wrestle with us because he always wins. So that's the reason he likes it. Um, you know, and, 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 but at the same time, then I say, well, I thank you for not answering my prayer because he kissed me in a relationship of dependence on you, you have to do something, I can't. The moment my request is satisfied, maybe the Lord knows what is in my heart. Maybe I said, oh, thank you, Lord, now I can do something else. But actually, he wants me to be constantly there. Eventually, he will. I know he will satisfy, I know he will answer. So he, that, he creates that situation of relationship and dependence. So with Adam... At the beginning, the Lord gave him everything. You know, when he created everything, he put his spirit in him, then he says, I give you all the herbs, the fruit, everything. He had it. He was naked. He had no need of clothes because he was not ashamed. He was not aware that he had to cover his body for any particular reason. And probably the climate in the Garden of Eden was so wonderful that, you know, there's no need of clothes. You know, it's eternal paradise. You know, it's like the tropical islands. You know, but you don't need anything. Um, fantastic. So there was no material need as such. Everything was provided for him. Everything was provided. And he had no enemies. Because by, why he was in such a close relationship with his father, with God, why that spirit that God put in him was become evident to all creation. He became evident to all creation. And even the lion didn't eat him because he could see the spirit of God in him. You know, we, 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 we hear stories of saints in the old days that there were um, Simon Francis that tamed the wolf and so on and, and other uh, great saints and that because creation can see and understand the presence of God. If we carry that presence with us, all that is around us, it becomes aware of that and it will not do any harm to us. But we need to become so transparent that the presence of God in us becomes evident. So there was this constant protection. And then there was an inheritance, like every good father provided an inheritance. He says, all is yours. All that I created, this planet, subdue it. The animals, the plants, creation, 
that you can reach as a man, this planet is yours. If you think about it, this is exactly the same points on which the devil tempted Jesus. Tell the stones to become bread. Provisions. Throw yourself on the pinnacle and the angels will save you. Protection. I give you all the kingdoms of the earth and inheritance. The devil tries to put a wedge between Jesus and his father by tempting Jesus on what the father role of his father was in his relationship to Jesus as a son. He put a wedge of separation. He tries to do that. You know, the people of Israel are coming out of Egypt and they come out of Egypt and they go into the desert where there is nothing. And people complain with Moses, where are the McDonald's? Where are the Pizza Hut? There is nothing here. Oh, what can I eat? There is no Coca-Cola here. There is no Coca-Cola dispenser. We took all the coins and the silver of Egypt away. We cannot buy anything here. It's a desert. It's nothing. Absolutely nothing. And God, the first thing he does, before anything else, he sends the manna. He provides for them and water from the rock. Provisions. And then the Egyptians were running after them, you know, Yul Brynner on the chariot and so on, and, and uh, Charlton Eston, whatever was the other guy. Um, and, 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 and it drowns in the Sarah Sea. It protects them. And then he says, you know, and I will give you the land that I promised to your fathers. An inheritance. Exactly the same thing. And it's what God provides here for us. And here what Jesus said, you know, your father will do these things. He will provide for you, he will protect you, and he has an inheritance for you. Which is what we are looking for. The kingdom. The kingdom is what God has promised to each one of us. And to all of us collectively. The kingdom. But now, that's here where the problem is. This what, what, what is this kingdom? What is the kingdom that Jesus talks about? And Jesus doesn't say a single word. It doesn't explain. He doesn't even say, is the kingdom of heaven? Is the kingdom that I will establish here? Is the kingdom of the world to come? Is the kingdom that will come at the end of time? Is when everything will be completed? It will be the new kingdom. Uh, what is this kingdom? Where is the kingdom? You know, many non-believers, non-Christian, they ask, ask, he says, well, you talk about the kingdom of God, where is it? Where is the sovereignty of God today in this world? Do we see it? We see it, we know it, we experience it, we see the hands of God at work, we understand the plan of God, we understand what God is doing. But can the pagan world, can the unsaved world understand that? Can he see it? They don't. And because they do not see that kingdom, they continuously look at man, exalting man in whatever form, the politician and everything. At the end of the day, even when those who apparently are Christians or they preach Christian values and so on, at the end of the day, the bottom line is always the same, is the exaltation of man. Whether one man or one group or one nation against another nation, and that is the problem, you know, the problem of the Babylonians today. They say, let, let us make something for ourselves, to make a name for ourselves. And then confusion came out. The spirit of confusion is in this world now. It's the spirit that is causing more damage than any other spirit right now. 
the spirit of confusion. And confusion brings division, misunderstanding, and more and more and more everywhere. And what Jesus was talking, and nations against nations, is that is what we, we see. And it's going to be worse and worse and worse. Because, praise God, thank you, Lord, I have good news for you. We are at the beginning of tribulations. Hallelujah! He don't seem particularly enthusiastic about it. But Jesus says, you know, when you see all these horrible things happen, rejoice, because your redemption is near. Every second gets closer and closer to the moment Jesus comes back. This is what we want. Even if there are tribulations that we all had to go through, whatever it is, you know, people ask me, are you a millennial, a millennial, premillennial? I said, well, a millennial, hallelujah, premillennial, hallelujah, postmillennial, hallelujah, pre-tribulation, hallelujah, no tribulation, hallelujah, raptures, hallelujah, no raptures, hallelujah. When it was going to happen, we will see it and we rejoice because Jesus told us what was going to happen, and we see him fall in front of us. And the reality of the word of Christ becomes something tangible. It makes us closer and closer to the coming of the Lord. When ha boom, bam, para, ba, bam, ba, bam. Can you imagine that day? I mean, Hollywood cannot possibly imagine that. I mean, can you imagine the return of the Lord? Can you imagine what it will be like? Do you want to be there? Do you want to have a front seat? Yes, you will have a front seat. All the elect, all those who have been saved by the blood of Jesus will be on the front seats and they will pay nothing. All the rest will be in the back and they have to pay. And, but if, if you have your seats there with your name there on the front line. Ha ha. And you will be the first to be hugged by the Lord when he comes back. Ha ha. And you are those that the Lord will say, come up, come up. Join me in my triumph. Hey, we will not see the triumph of Jesus. We will be part of the triumph of Jesus. Hey, hello. We will be part of the triumph of Jesus. Have you heard that? Doesn't mean anything. We will, you, will not, you will not be invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. You will not because you are the bride. The bride doesn't invite herself, does she? You know, she's, she's the center of everything. You know, the bride is the center of every wedding celebration. And we are the center of the wedding celebration. So we will not be invited. We will be at the center of it. Hey, that, that doesn't make you cap at you, bam, boom, bam, boom, bam, ha, yes, yes. It's that incredible joy, the awareness of what God is doing for us, that fills our hearts with joy. And then and where is that joy? We look and say, well, I need a new jumper. So what's the problem? I have that. I'm not well. What's the problem? I do not have money. What's the problem? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. It's not foolishness because we are not fools. We know that we have responsibilities in this life. If we are parents, we are children to look after. And we need to provide the best for our children. We don't want to give them uh, the worst education, the worst clothes, the worst food. We want to give them the best. And that is the responsibility that we have in front of God to provide. As a church, we want to be a missionary church. We want to do the Alpha course. And that requires resources. We need them. We are not fools. We are not saying, oh, I have nothing, hallelujah, praise the Lord. No, but then we present our petition, and then it's done. But then we reverse 
the concerns and we start being concerned for something else, seeking this kingdom. Jesus says, seek the kingdom first. You know, we put, instead of putting the cart in front of the, or the, the horse, you know, we put the horse first, what it draws the cart, the real part, which is the kingdom. But again, where is this kingdom? You know, every day when we pray, when we say the Lord's Prayer, we say, let your kingdom come. Hey, let your will be done. Let your kingdom come. Why do we have to pray daily for the kingdom to come? Where does the kingdom come? The kingdom is inside us and around us. We are in the kingdom and we seek the kingdom. We are part of the kingdom and still we are in a pilgrimage towards the kingdom. This is the paradox of the Christian life, that we are there, but because there is more. We are in a pilgrimage. We have already reached the place of salvation. We have already, we are saved. We are, our names are written in the book of lives. We know, we had that reassurance. Jesus is in our hearts. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. We have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. When we, when we have the gifts and we use them, that's the seal that said, yes, it is. It's ours. We got it. We don't have any more reassurance. We do not know. Yes, no, we have it. It's ours. But there is more. And there is more. And there is deeper. And it's higher. And so the pilgrimage is a constant pilgrimage. It's a constant search. I got it, but there is more. I'm there, but I'm still walking. I'm holy, but I have to be made holier and holier and holier. I've been saved. My salvation is reassurance. My redemption is reassurance. I reassured, but I had to get for more and more and more and more. But this, this is, this kingdom, we can think of a kingdom, on a kingdom of the world to come, and a kingdom at the end of times. But actually, this kingdom that Jesus talks about, seek the kingdom first now, before these things will be given to you. And these things that he talks about are for this life. Food, clothes, all these sort of things are for this life. In the world to come, I don't know, we will eat all the pizza we want, we don't get fat. I don't know how it will work out. Um, what, what will be like? We cannot possibly imagine what will be like. The world to come, when the kingdom of Jesus Christ will be established on earth as it is in heaven, we can't imagine what we will be like in that kingdom. We will be in our prime. We will all be glorious and beautiful and slim and young and beautiful with a lot of hair, whatever we are missing now. And and I don't know, but it's going to be the constant excitement. And you know, and we will be constantly, probably I said that before, God invented eternity for our sake. Eternity is a wonderful gift that God has given us. Is not created, it's not created eternity for himself because God is more eternal than eternity. I mean, words do not satisfy what God is in relationship to eternity. Eternity is containing him. But he created eternity for our sake because it will take an eternity to get to that point. Will take an eternity to get closer and closer and closer to the image of Christ. Will take an eternity to become partakers of the divine nature will become more and more and more like Him, but it will never become like Him because we will continuously become like Him. 
But the purpose is to become like him. That's the paradox of the kingdom of God. But that kingdom that Jesus talks about, he's that kingdom there, yes, we know about that, but now he brings the kingdom now in this life, in this particular situation. And we cannot say the kingdom is the church. The church is part of the kingdom, represents the kingdom. It should be. We are ambassadors of Christ. Should be. This is the embassy of the kingdom of God. But it's not just the kingdom. It's so much more. Much more. And Jesus gave us glimpses again and again and again of what, if not exactly what this kingdom is, but how we can get closer to that kingdom, how we can find that kingdom. He says, seek the kingdom, but it doesn't leave us to our own devices, to our own possibilities and abilities to look for that kingdom. He says, I'll tell you how you find it. And I'll tell you. In, 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 a little bit later in, in, in Matthew 7, 21, it says, the one who does the will of my father enters the kingdom. Do you remember when he talked to Nicodemus when, in John chapter 3, when, 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 when Jesus says to Nicodemus, you, you cannot see the kingdom if you are not born again. You cannot even see it. You cannot understand it. Anyone who is not born on Christ, is not born again in Christ, was not received his brand new spirit that God gives us when we say yes to Jesus and enter into that relationship. Remember John chapter 1, 12, all those who receive him, he gives them the right to become children of God. When we say yes to Jesus, where, what is really happens, we enter into a relationship. But then we need to appreciate that relationship, understand the relationship, believe the relationship. If I'm a son of God, I have to live as a son. And what my Father, my Heavenly Father, expects from me is what is expects from Jesus. And Jesus gave perfect obedience to the Father. I came to do the will of my Father. Remember the psalm? In psalm, uh, I think psalm 40 is to do your will is my delight. Do you remember in, in John 4 when uh, after Jesus talked to the Samaritan and, 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 and Jesus talks about food and, and he says, my food is to do the will of my Father. What gives me life, what keeps, sustains me, what gives me nourishment to do the will of my Father. I put myself into that perfect position of the perfect Son. And we have this model, which is Jesus, our model. What it means to be a son and a daughter of the Almighty God. Just look at Jesus. The imitation of Jesus is what we need to do exactly what Jesus did. Well, when he healed the sick, oh yes. When he preached, yes. When he uh, cast out demons, oh yes. But what Jesus did in his relationship with the Father. We had to look at Jesus, how Jesus did I came to do the will of my Father. I do not seek my glory. I seek his glory. What I see him doing, I do. What I hear him saying, I say. And he makes himself totally dependent on the Father. When the devil tempted him, he says, and Jesus could do that. Jesus could do it. He says, if you are the Son of God, of course he is. Tell the stones to become bread. He could do it. And said, okay, you want to see that I'm the Son of God? And then instead of bread, you know, there was a banquet, you know, incredible goodies, things, and whatever, whatever you imagine of a banquet, a Sunday roast, whatever you like, it was there. Or it says, throw yourself from the pinnacle. Oh, he would have been millions of angels to come and save him. But he doesn't do that. 
Because if he did it, he did it on his own strength. But he wanted to be dependent on the Father. He wanted the Father to provide for him, the Father to protect him, the Father to give him an inheritance. And this is what Jesus said in this passage. In Matthew says, when you seek the kingdom and all the rest will be added, when I seek the kingdom to enter into that relationship, then my Father will provide for my needs, material and spiritual. You remember what it says in, in, in 2 Peter 1, it says, everything has been given to us for regarding the life and godliness, the natural and the spiritual, everything is provided. Everything is given. But we don't get it. And they say, oh, God doesn't answer my prayer. Because I'm not in that relationship. When I'm in that relationship, I do not have to think about it. Your children, your toddler, this little, wonderful, amazing, little, little gifts from God. Each one of them is every time. I, I love, you know, I love this church because there are so many little children. They see their angels see the face of God. Can you imagine that? These little guys, these little boys and girls here, these little they're so delightful little things. They have guardian angels who see the face of God. So when they are gathered together, you know, the guardian angels are all there. And they're not just ordinary angels, you know, class B2, whatever. They are the big guys who see the face of God. They're on the front line. Hey, when we gather these children, ask the Lord, and I promise you, you will see it. You will realize it. You will feel it. You will sense it. And when you see all these children, your heart is lifted up to the Lord. It's going to say, wow, look at all these angels here. What a blessed place it is, one. What a holy place. Try next Sunday and see what happens. Try and see what happens. So it's because that relationship that attracts all these other things. So it's when he says, you know, those who does the will of my Father enters the kingdom. And in Matthew 5.20 it says, you know, righteousness is a requirement. I can't... Do you remember the parable of the wedding feast and then when there is this king or ruler, I don't remember where the parable is, but um, that um, he does he has a wedding feast for his son, and, and people have all sorts of excuses. You know, I just got married, and I, I have a couple of oxen that I have to uh, bought a fill, and all these sort of earthly, banal, uh, yucky excuses. And they don't go to the wedding. And so he said, okay, get all the lame and the poor and the lepers. And, and go, they all go in. And then there's one guy who was not properly dressed. And he's thrown out. And he's thrown out. We can't enter into that kingdom. We cannot seek that kingdom. If there is any darkness, if we are not prepared, if there are garments, which is, means the garment is what we appear, what we look like, but it also reflect what is inside. You know, we can't be hypocrites with God. We cannot be holy, holy, holy. And then there is the smallest little darkness inside our hearts. What displeases God? You know, when he says in the Beatitude, that we, we heard about a few weeks ago, the Beatitude where he says, Blessed are the pure in heart because they will see God. That purity is not sexual purity. 
It's not sexual purity. There may be things inside our hearts that are displeasing God. And they're nothing to do with sexual purity. They're purity or heart. You know, I can be a perfect Christian and so on and have a little bit of grudge, a little bit of resentment, a little bit of criticism, a little bit of annoyance, a little bit of lack of faith, a little bit of pride, a little bit of arrogance. I can be conceited. I can think of myself a little better. The moment I think that for a second I'm tiny, 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 tiny little better than my brother, I fail completely in the eyes of God. Do you remember Philippians 2? Consider everyone else more important than yourself. That is the formula for perfect freedom. Freedom in our heart. When we give preference. And you remember uh, Romans 12? Give preference in honor to everyone. To everyone. When my brothers and sisters take precedence in front of me, at that point my heart is in the right place. God is still working in me. I'm not there yet. I'm not perfect. I know you believe it, but I have to tell you the truth. I'm not perfect. Not yet. But the Holy Spirit is working me and is leading me and pushing me in that direction. So if, if that cleansiness, the purity of heart, and when Jesus says, you know, do you remember the young ruler goes away and he said it's impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom? And the apostles say, well, though no one will ever enter the kingdom. He said, well, well, it's not possible for man, it's possible for God. Why? What's the problem with riches? What's the problem of having? Is the last for money that is the beginning of all evil. Not money by itself. God make made, made um, Abraham extremely rich and, and Isaac and Jacob and, and he made uh, uh, Joseph the vizier of, of Egypt and, and Solomon with all his riches and even David you know, became the king and so on. And, and God provides for all our needs and he gives us in abundance. It's not the, the problem with the riches is that if we have enough and we have no need we become independent. I don't need anything. Remember Jesus says the parable of the man who has this huge harvest and said, oh my soul, let's rejoice. That's a warning. If we are blessed, well, thank you Lord for blessing me, but I know that there are others I share my blessing with those who have needs. And in that way, I please God and God will continue to give me more because the more I give, the more I receive. This is the principle of the kingdom of God. You know, if you want to have love, give love. If you want to have recognition, give recognition. And more will be given to you. And that's, that's, and the more we receive, the more we have to give. And the same thing happens with, with riches. But we are not seeking for riches for the sake of having riches. Because the moment we have more than what we need, we have too much. We are in a very, very dangerous place. When our needs are met according to the life we live. I mean, if you are the queen, you know, of course, you know, you have different needs from the one I have, quite honestly. You know, she will never drive in my car. I mean, it will be, ah, she will not be the queen. Um, and so there is, there is a dimension in everything. There is a, a, a logic. There is, we are not fools. But at the same time, at the moment I have much more than what I need, I become independent. And that is a problem. 
that is the problem. And then what is also required is the perseverance. You have to continue. Seek the kingdom. This is an imperative that says continually seek the kingdom. Because the moment you enter into that kingdom and you see and appreciate and, and receive something, there is even more. And there is even more. As we said at the beginning about the Word of God, we understand something, but then we can go deeper and we go deeper and we go deeper and we go deeper and we go deeper. And, we go deeper. and there is a, a deeper meaning in everything that has been said. Every single word in the book every single revelation that we receive from the Holy Spirit, every prophetic words, everything that we hear, even here on Sunday morning, we can go deeper. What I'm giving you now scratch, scratches the surface. If you want, and if you desire, and if you can go deeper, and God and the Holy Spirit will lead you and go deeper and deeper, and you will find more, and you will appreciate more, and will understand more, and you will be enriched, and you will get more, and then you will say, but there is more. There is more. The moment he said, I have enough, I have what I need, you fail miserably. You become like Lucifer. You go straight down to the pit of hell. I promise you. But the, as you continuously depend on God the Father, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, just give us and give us and give us. Give us and give us and give us. And then the kingdom that we see around us are... Uh, there is something in this world. Who is the prince of this world? It's the devil. And, and he says, so he is, this kingdom is here on earth. So why should we have the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven? Uh, because there is a kingdom. We are the kingdom. The kingdom is in us. We represent the kingdom. We are the ambassadors of the kingdom. But the extension is that we are immersed in a world that there is another dimension. There are two dimensions now. And we it's up to us to make choices. And when we make choices, we cannot be here or there. There is no gray area. Do you remember Elijah the prophet when he was on Mount Carmel? He says, you can't limp on two, on two feet. Either you are on one foot or you are on the other foot. Either you serve God or you serve Baal. You can't be wavering in between and say this and that. I cannot say, you know, that there was a time in which I believed that, that Sunday was made for God and, and uh, Monday to Friday was neutral and Saturday was for sinning and for the devil, you know. And many, many Christians, unfortunately, live like that. You know, and, and set aside that Sunday morning and it is done and satisfied. But there is a relationship. If I'm talking about God as my father, I mean, there was a, there was a, a joke, I remember, that says, you know, talking about relationship with God. Can you imagine somebody who, I don't, I don't know whether I told you this story, the, the, the story of John Smith who went to heaven. Do you remember that story? No? You know, this guy, John Smith, goes to heaven, straight to heaven, and arrives at the gates of heaven, and it is uh, Peter, you know, there, and, and Peter says, hello, what would you like? What do you want? He says, well, I, I want to come in. And, and says, but who are you? He says, I'm, I'm John Smith. Um, and so Peter had this enormous book, and put on his glasses and he started glowing for it. John Smith, John Smith, John Smith, and goes back and forth. I said, I'm sorry, but your name is not in the book of life. And John Smith gets very angry. I said, well, he gets very upset. He said, well, there's something wrong in your book. I am a Christian. 
So I have the right to come in. There is something wrong. Correct your book. Check it again. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm Peter. I is a little bit lost about it. These guys. Look, I'm a Christian. I was a little baby. They took me to church Sunday morning, one hour, and they baptized me. Then I became a Christian. Then my mother used to take me when I was a toddler to church every Sunday morning, one hour. Then my father used to take me to church when I grew up every Sunday morning, one hour. Then I got married one hour Sunday morning in, ch- in church. And then I... My wife took me to church every Sunday morning, one hour. And then I died and there was a funeral Sunday morning, one hour in, in church. And says, I am Christian, so I have the right to come in. And Peter said, well, I'm very sorry. I mean, it's, I, I believe you. you. You look like honest, a sincere person to me. is extremely regular. Your name is not in a book. But nevertheless, okay, okay, you may come in for the rest of eternity, one hour every Sunday morning. <laughs> that relationship my father is my father when I'm asleep when I drink when I sleep when I brush my teeth when I drive my car when I, when I preach whatever he is my father he is constantly my father and I'm constantly a son and I'm constantly in that relationship with him and that relationship is something that it becomes so precious to me that I have to cultivate all the time. Seek the kingdom and its righteousness. The righteousness of the kingdom and in all these things. And there is even more. And you may continue to search and search in the word, search in the Bible, search in your heart, search for the Holy Spirit, and you will see more and more what the righteousness of the kingdom is. It's not the absence of sin. The absence of sin is nothing that we even discuss. Sin, we don't discuss about it. We don't think about it. It doesn't exist in our lives. Holiness is not the absence of sin. It's much more than that. It's a perfect relationship. The righteousness that Jesus talks about is the righteousness of the way how we relate. And their righteousness can be totally absent when there are anything, anything that causes me to turn towards myself and become concerned about myself. How do I appear how do I present myself? I can be an hypocrite in front of God. I can be an hypocrite in front of my brothers. Oh, very easily. Very easily. The holy, 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 holy. I'm holier than thou. Who are you? Who are you? You know, I'm, ha. And that, that, that pride that breaks everything, that spoils everything, that makes everything ugly. Everything unpalatable, everything yucky, yucky, yucky. In the, there was a time in which Catherine and I, we used to go to a lot of Christian conferences on. Very often I was on the platform, Catherine was on the platform, sometimes we were just attending. But I said, when I give up, I simply give up. Because they, you know, people come to you and they says, who are you? The first person they ask you. And then it says, you know, um, uh, how big is your church? That's the second question. I said, well, I haven't got a church. Um, and they turn away, you know. And then they see that, that, uh, you are hugging Mark and so oh, he knows Mark. Oh, wow. And so they start going closely to you and, and, and say, Oh, I heard you have a, a healing ministry. And, um, and, uh, tell me how many dead have you raised from the dead and yesterday? Oh, five. I raised six. And, and how dead were you dead? Oh, uh, they have little worms coming out. My, uh, mine was smelly. And, uh, and they, they go around and like that, you know. Or, 
how they come to you, I'm an apostle, archbishop, archprophet, um, archpriest, whatever. John Smith, who are you? And then he says, I'm Giancarlo. Well, yes, yeah, nobody. And that pride, pride, pride is the greatest enemy of God. Pride is cause Satan to fall. Pride at the end caused Adam to fall because he wanted to be like God. Yes, God makes us like him, but I cannot reach him. He makes me like him. He transforms me. It's the Holy Spirit who transforms in the likeness of Christ. I do not want because he makes me. But at the same time, I want because I want to be like him. But I depend on him. The moment I make myself dependent, he can do it. And then self-righteousness stops him from going into the kingdom. Self-righteousness is what stops the grace of God working. Because we are abandoned to our own devices, to our own means. I'm good. I'm righteous. I'm a Christian. So I'm not like the others. Do you remember the, the, the two guys, the, the Jesus told the story of the, or the Pharisee and, and the tax collector that go to the temple to pray and they are in the temple in the presence of God and the Pharisee says, thank you, Lord, that you made me so good. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't make me like this sinner. Thank you, Lord, that I tithe all my whatever I have and I fast two times a week and, and all these sort of things. Um, and that, that, that was the end. That's what he had. I, I just, yesterday, something came to my mind, talking about, reading about these two guys. The other guy knew that he was a sinner. He was just beating his chest and said, Lord, have mercy on me. And I wrote this. He says, it is much better to present oneself empty-handed before God and be willing to receive his gift than to force his hand by vain boastfulness before him. We can boast in front of God. And the moment we boast in front of God, we are in serious troubles. In serious troubles. If I boast about anything, and Paul says, if I boast, I boast that Jesus Christ died for me. I stand with a righteousness which is not my own, but a righteousness that comes from Jesus. So again, we see that that relationship in which we depend on our God. Depend on Him. Depend on His grace. And that will help us seeking the kingdom to return to the very beginning. Because that is always all about. To return to what we were meant to be created in His image. That is all it's all about. And in this life God has already started at work. The moment we say yes to Jesus, we have the right to become children. We enter into a relationship with God the Father and we cultivate that relationship and we grow into it, into it until we are called to glory. But then I believe we will see a continuation of that for all eternity. For all eternity. And we become partakers. But our eternity has already started. The moment we said yes to Jesus, we have that guarantee, that reassurance, the life eternal is a work in us.